I am waiting for the pandemic and the government assistance to end. And I'm watching it closely because I believe the stock market has been buoyed because of the excess money that people have that they've been getting from the stock market. But when, when the pandemic ends and new money coming in stops, then I think there's going to be a, you know, not just with stocks, but with, with real estate, for example, because right now lending rates are low and without going really deep, lending rates are low because yes. the baby boomers have been, they're, they're, their kids are out of the house. So they've been flooding money into banks and the banks have all of this money. So they, we've had a really low interest rate for a long time. But between 22 and 24, those baby boomers, a lot of them will be retired and new money into the system, new money into the 401ks, new money into the CDs, all of that will dry up. So, I mean, I believe you're going to see mortgage rates go, I mean, they'll have to go to anywhere between six and a half and 8%. Welcome to the Wealth Matters podcast where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters Podcast. I am going to talk to Mr. Wesley Sark today. He's the president and lead strategist at Risk Management Advisors, Inc., and he's an expert in the implementation, design, and management of captive insurance. And I have heard a lot about captive insurance, not only from my uh, own journey, but when I was starting, I had uh, heard about it on different podcasts, as well as read about it somewhere as well on different blogs. So I, I want to explore this area a lot today because I want to see how I can save taxes, Plus, I can uh, have asset protection. So Wesley has almost 20 years of experience in the field. So he's very, very experienced. And he has unique insights into the world of captive insurance, asset protection, and risk management. Welcome, Wesley. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm excited. Absolutely. No, I am looking forward to this episode. So thank you so much for your time. Tell us something interesting or funny about yourself. Well, I'm, I'm in the insurance business, but what I always wanted to do growing up is be an opera singer. That's all I ever wanted to do. And then I, I heard my vocal cords and then I had to uh, pivot when I was 16 and find out, you know, find something else to do. Little oh, known fact. That's awesome. So which assets do you invest in and why right now? Um, I, I have a fair amount of crypto. Okay. Um, but you know, that's, you know, that that's money that you can afford to lose because of, exactly. the, of the volatility. I have a diversified portfolio of stocks to investment properties. And a lot of my, you know, not to get off track, but a lot of my assets are in three ETFs. Oh, really? And okay. there are three ETFs that I started in December 27th of 2019 and started it with, $80 million of some of my money, but other RIAs that I knew. And I'm not an investment guy. Um, we just were fortunate enough to sell our business. And I wanted to figure out how can I make sure 
that I had this money for the rest of my life because this was this was my money. So right, right now it it just crossed. So in what 20 months, it's gone from 80 million to 580 million. Wow. It's wow. So yeah. Yeah, Other- last last two years have been crazy for stocks to real estate to cryptos. Everything yeah. is like thousand percent up. So that that actually worries me right now because everything is frothy. What do you see now? Because you know stocks, of course, you can tell now. But cryptos, real estate, it's it's just crazy, ridiculous, right? Yeah, everything's overvalued. I mean, yes. home prices are overvalued. You can yeah. still find you can still find stuff. We just closed on a house last Friday in Paso Robles, mm-hmm. uh, but that was one where it was a good deal. Um, so that was the right place, right time, and and got it. But for for yeah, a lot of stuff is is overvalued yes a lot of stocks are overvalued um you know the reason why i mean i like my etfs is because based on the 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 construction when the market starts going down and new money goes into a money market so if let's say it's s p if the s p starts going down so new money in the s p goes below 40 percent and money into the money market goes above 50 it automatically rebalances and goes to cash oh I like to call it alpha and, it, you know, some are, some are values, some are global, some are U.S., but I, I like to call it, and it was my friend Howard Getson that came up with this term, but it's really alpha through avoidance. So when, when the market goes down, you're out of the market. And when it goes up, you're in the market. That's really nice. why, I, why I came up with those. Oh, that's awesome. I'm a long-term buy and hold kind of person. Yeah, yeah, me too. Vince, I, I have a trading account where I trade very little, but the whole idea is, you know, buy and hold long-term. Because, you know, people people always say, oh, buy, buy, buy low, sell high. But, you know, you can you can never time the market, right? And I, I'm yet to see a real trader, you know, who... Or you know who is who is a multimillionaire or a billionaire? Even even Warren Buffet, you know, buys and holds, right? Of course, he buys it at the right price, but in the end, he's he's not selling every week or every month. <laughs> yeah, even guys like Ray Dalio. Yes, it, it, yeah. it it's buy. It's not buy and sell. It's buy and buy and buy and buy. Yes, <laughs> it's just yeah. buy good companies that you that you believe in and you use and you know. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Dollar cost averaging, right? Buy, buy, buy. When you you know up to the price point you really want to get. Oh, this is great. So let's talk about captive insurance. What exactly is that? A captive is it's a it's a licensed regulated insurance company, but it's the business owner or the commercial property, if you have a big portfolio of commercial property, instead of paying AIG Zurich Liberty, you actually create your own insurance company and you pay those premiums to your own company. Oh. And so those are deductible. And then to protect the downside, you go out and get reinsurance, which is insurance for insurance companies. Oh. So you can determine how much risk you want to take. And insurance companies are given special tax benefits it's, it's not a tax strategy, but insurance companies are given a special tax incentive that other companies don't have. So if you're a small insurance company, and the definition of that is $2.35 million this year in 2021, $2.35 million per year in premiums, then your premium income is tax-free and your underwriting is tax-free in the insurance company, you only pay taxes on your realized investment earnings. So let's say you put it in an ETF. Let's, I mean, so we have clients that pay, you know, a million, two million a year 
to cover their business because okay. you have to, so it has to be legitimate insurance and you have to have legitimate risk. Um, but if instead of buying property, casualty, liability, workers' comp, health insurance from the traditional market, you pay, you know, let's, let's call it wealth matters insurance. Yes, I was actually so, going there. I want yeah. to understand this. <laughs> so if, if you have risk in your business, like you have investment property, So you say, I want to cover slip and falls. I mean, we have somebody that does investment properties and they have a tenant deposit insurance. So instead of getting security deposits, they, the tenants just buy insurance so they don't have to return it. And they have tenant damage waiver policy. So the tenants can actually buy this policy oh. or they take a percentage of their you know, rents and put it into that. But, so let, let, uh, let me interrupt. So, sorry about that. I always thought the captive insurance only applied to like businesses, but not rental properties. But now this is opening my eyes that you can actually apply this to your portfolio of rental properties. Yeah, correct. That's pretty cool. So you could create Wealth Matters insurance, and then you take a percentage of the rent you receive and pay that into Wealth Matters insurance. And the good thing is, is Let's say no one moved out. There was no damage. There wasn't a fire. There wasn't a flood. There was nothing. Um, then that, you know, you pay a million dollars. That million dollars is inside your insurance company. Right. And in other businesses, that would be considered profit. Even if you wanted to leave it in that business, the IRS says that's fine. You still have to pay taxes. On it. But because it's an insurance company, you that million dollars in underwriting profit, you're not taxed on. So let's say you put the million dollars in a CD that gave you 1% just to keep it easy. Right. You would have made $10,000. Right. You would pay a 21% federal C corp rate on that. So you would pay $2,100 in federal taxes and no state taxes because insurance companies don't pay state taxes. They pay premium taxes to the jurisdiction. Oh, okay. So even if it is in California, you don't pay any uh, state taxes. Correct. Because insurance companies pay state uh, premium taxes on their premium income that they that they make. Ah, okay. But in this case, the insurance company will not pay any premium tax either, because you said that up to two point three five million, or they have to pay state premium tax. The the premium taxes is a regulatory thing, so it depends on the jurisdiction you go. But it's going to be anywhere between thirty five hundred dollars and five thousand dollars. Oh, okay. Okay. In, in premium taxes. Got it. Got it. So, um, and you mentioned C corporation. So again, I, I'm just going to take my own example that we have, we have Wealth Matters, which is an LLC, but I also have a C corporation as well as an IT consulting business and we pay for our own insurance. Can I create another insurance company? And is that, does it have to be a C corporation? Yeah. So insurance companies, in order to get the tax treatment we're talking about, they have to be C-Corps or LLCs taxed as C-Corps, and they have to have a December 31st year end. So that, those are the two requirements, but the insurance company can insure any entity. So you could be a sole prop, you could be an S-Corp, it can insure the uh, LLCs, okay. it could insure your, your, your IT consulting business, if, if that's a C-Corp or an S-Corp, whatever it is, you can, you can still insure it. Got it. And can you co-mingle, right? So I have a C corporation with a business partner, but I have LLC with another uh, myself. 
can I create one uh, Wealth Matters insurance company and uh, the C Corporation also uh, pays me the premium or the insurance company as well as the LLC pays the premium or do I have to have separate uh, captive insurance uh, C Corporation for each of the entities? No, that, that's a good question. Basically, what you would do is think of it, think of Wealth Matters insurance like AIG. Mm. So all the different entities you have would pay to that one insurance company you have. So that insurance company would write many different businesses. Got it. It would okay, no, that, that, that That's even more enticing now. <laughs> so, yeah. so and, and sorry, I had interrupted you earlier and you mentioned about the tenant deposit insurance and the tam, tenant damage waiver. Can you elaborate on that? So I can have, a, I can ask my tenant because sometimes we ask tenants to get insurance from outside. So instead they can get the insurance from my insurance company. And, and what, how does the tenant damage waiver work? Uh, well, they would, pay, they would pay a certain amount of money per month. And if there's damage to it, so it's not like renter's insurance where it's going to cover the stuff inside. Yes, if it's stolen or something. But right. But you, you would have the ability for them to buy this tenant damage waiver. So in the event that there's damage inside of your um, that, that apartment uh-huh. or single family residence or whatever, then that tenant damage waiver would come in and give you the money in order to fix the property that they damage. I see. So that, that's, that's very interesting because I just went through it in, in, at one of my properties, right? So I ended up spending over 10 grand because the insurance company we were going with, they didn't cover the expense. They said, oh, it was six months old claim that we don't do it. And it was just a pain in the neck. So, so this is opening my eyes right now. Yeah. So, and the best part is, is what you're doing. I mean, the way insurance works is you're paying premiums today. And the reason why they get this tax treatment is you, you're paying money today for something that could happen tomorrow, next month, six months, yeah, a year, after 10, 10 years, years yeah. from now. So in, in that way, if insurance companies were taxed like every other business, they take in premium dollars, but if they didn't have a claim right then, then they would have to pay taxes oh, on their profit. Yeah, because so there's no expense. Going, yeah. yeah. So they, they wouldn't have enough money in reserves I in see. order to cover the claims that come down the road. So that's no. where you get this special tax treatment. Now, now it makes sense, right? Because today's dollar is always more valuable than tomorrow's dollar, right? Yeah, With the inflation, we already see. So if they pay tax right now, they don't have any expense and they are going to lose value even more, right? Okay, so that, that makes sense. And then you, if you look at the um, deposit, so let's say you're charging somebody $3,000 a month and they need first month, last month, and then some sort of security deposit. That may, that may not be good. So on your books, if somebody gives you a security deposit, you keep it as a liability on your books because eventually you're going to have to pay it back. To them. But they may not have the money to move in because of that security deposit. So let's say the security deposit was going to be $3,000 that they may get back. Most people are, most tenants are skeptical that they're going to get their whole 3000 back or what percentage of it. But with, if you gave them a choice to say, okay, you can buy, you can give us a deposit security deposit of $3,000 or 
you can buy this security deposit insurance policy. Now you won't get the money back, but it's going to cost you $1,200 instead of 3,000. I see. Well, most people say, you know what? I'd, I'd rather pay $1,200 because in their mind, they're not going to be getting a lot of their right. security deposit back anyway. Right. So, um, no, this is great. Um, my next question is, but how does it help me as a landlord, right? So I'm, I'm getting the premium. That's good. But let's say, you know, they have just, let's talk about security deposit. You know, I was supposed to get 3000. They gave me only 1200 and now damage worth more than 1200. What happens to, to the 1200 I had received in my, at my insurance company will cover it or should I also get reinsurance? Well, reinsurance may not be available unless you have, I mean, we have people who have 60,000 apartments, ah. apartment, uh, you know, 60,000 doors, doors. They, can get, they can get reinsurance, um, I see. but <clears throat> below a certain amount, it's, it's not feasible, but that's where the actuary figures out, okay, with the lifetime of the apartments or homes that you have, how much have, have you had to go into the security deposit? What is the size of the average claim? Because most, most landlords will paint the walls, replace the carpets, do all right. the normal stuff that goes into it. This is just the extra damage on top of that. Right. But in analysis we've done, you know, the, on the security deposit insurance side, you know, if, if they're collecting $3,000, I mean, it's rare that the damage would be $10,000. If so, that gets into, you know, criminal and they did, they did all this other stuff they shouldn't. But most of the time, it was besides the paint and carpet, it's a five to $700 spend. So this became a, this becomes a profit center. I see. And <laughs> um, how would the tenant damage waiver work then? So <clears throat> let's say that um, tenant does something. They let the bathtub run over. They, they burn the carpet because they put an iron on it. They did something like that. That now, if, if there's damage to the apartment, not their stuff inside of it, but the damage to the apartment, then it's your, you're still going to have your commercial insurance. Okay. May or, like you said, most of the time it won't pay. So that yeah. $10,000, but if you got, if you got the ten, tenant damage waiver on, you know, over the years from many different tenants, then your insurance company would have the $10,000 to then, so you put yourself, it's, it's indemnification. You want to put yourself in the same financial situation you were before the event happened. Yes. So now <clears throat> you have to spend $10,000 to fix it. And then you submit the claim to your insurance company and your insurance company puts you back financially whole where you were before. And that's uh, just, I mean, this is just one example with, uh, with commercial property, but you know, many of our captives, we have health insurance, workers' comp. So wow. health insurance keeps going up and up. Oh, now. Yes. So now, if you have, you know, our our clients with call it 75 or 100 employees should be looking at uh, a captive to do their health insurance because it's it, there's a way for them to save a lot of money. Then you say workers' comp. They have a, a large enough people. Let's say they're roofers, contractors, developers, home health care nurses, staffing. I mean, we, the list goes on and on and on. But we look at all the insurances for a business and say, what, what makes sense for them to keep in the market because it's less expensive for them to give the risk to the traditional market? 
And then what is better for them to keep themselves? So if you'd been paying general for a million dollar general liability policy, and you've been paying that for 20 years and never had a claim, you know, why wouldn't you put that inside your insurance company? So we have, I mean, the way we got into this is we had our own insurance company and we could write all different kinds. So I could actually write my own auto insurance. But I made the decision, you know, why would I, why would I write a million dollar auto insurance policy and take that risk to save $3,000 in the traditional market? So that's where it's, it's, it's one of those where you look at what is the cost? Because if I had one claim in the next 40 years, it was significant. I would wipe out all the underwriting, all the money in my insurance company I'd accumulated. So that you just have to look at all the insurances you have. No, that's that's great. Um, and I was listening very carefully because, yes, now it's opening even my eyes even wider because I can go from tenant to general liability, E&O, right? Umbrella to pretty much everything I have, right? So this is great. Um, I mean, we have IT consulting companies. Yes. Go in yeah. and set up that set up the security and protocols and stuff yep. for businesses. And they say, hey, you follow all of our stuff, we're actually going to give you a warranty from our insurance company. So in the event that, I mean, you have to follow all these steps, but it then becomes a marketing tool for some to say, look, we're going to give you this warranty. And then they take some of the money that came in as income and put it into warranties, or they say, would you like to buy a warranty? Yeah. And if you buy that warranty, you know, if anything, if you get a Trojan virus or something else, then we will come in and fix that for you and you won't have to pay for it. It'll be paid for by the insurance company. Right. No, that's great. So now my next question is, what would be the minimum premium for this to work, right? The, does the premium have to be? Because, uh, and again, I'm just looking at my own example. I think on my IT consulting side, we pay between uh, 10 to 15,000. Maybe if I combine 10 in policies, another 10 grand. So what is the minimum if I want to create an insurance company? Would that be helpful from asset protection, tax benefits, and from everything else? Uh, or, or, or do you suggest that it has to be this much before you even get involved? Well, I mean, I mean, I would say our average premium is probably eight hundred thousand a year. Oh, okay. Um, but we have, because I mean, let's let's use your business. You, you have insurance in the traditional market, and that may be $15,000, uh-huh. but your business has a ton of risk that you haven't purchased insurance for, that you just, you know, you're, you're going naked on. Right. So that's where the actuary comes in and figures out what are all the different premiums or what are all the different risks for your, all of your different businesses. And they're the ones that set the premium for you. But I mean, these can, depending on the structure, if you want a single parent insurance company, then you're probably talking half a million dollars in premium a year in in order to make it worthwhile. Um, But there's other structures where you can go into, it's called series, like a series LLC. Series LLC. Yeah, you can go in. So there's a master insurance company and then you just have your own insurance company underneath, you know, and and then that makes sense at 100,000, 200, but it's the actuary that's setting the risk because then they go, we have to go to the department of insurance to say, this is how much premium you should be doing. So our business is we design them, implement them and manage them. That's it. So we don't manage money. We don't sell product. 
all we do is set up and run insurance companies for our clients. But so let's, let's, let's use you as an example. Let's say that we sit down and we go through an analysis of all your different businesses and the actuaries say, Hey, you know what? We think you should be paying $200,000 in premium. Okay. And then you could pay the $200,000 in premium. You deduct it from your business. It goes into your own insurance company. That insurance company pays its taxes on realized investment earnings. And this just continues to go to, to grow. And then the good, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of good about living in California. Um, Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, so one of my books is called You Can Make It, But Can You Keep It? Yes, it's all, it's that, that is so important. I keep telling people that don't tell me that you make 300,000, 500,000. How much do you actually keep it, right? So, exactly. and I love the book by, you know, Tom Wilwright, Tax-Free Wealth. And that opened again, you know, all the avenues for me. And I always look at any investment I make that am I going to have tax benefit yep. from this investment? Even the Bitcoin mining we started, we... We started because there is going to be humongous depreciation, right? Because I, I, I'm like, yeah, if I want to invest, I can just invest myself in cryptos. Why would I create large entity and do all this work? I got to see tax benefits, right? So that's so important. <laughs> I'd be interested to not to go off off topic, but your your feeling on chia because I just started mining. Uh, oh wow, mining chia right now. I mean, oh, I've that's. Got, I've I got think computers right out there that are. Oh, good. nice. <laughs> yeah. So Shia, I think it's it's a storage um, is is a pretty important piece of the puzzle in crypto space, especially, you know, we use centralized storage like Box, Dropbox, etc. So Shia, and there is another called Storage, S-T-O-R-J. I think they got good, good future, but you know, things things can change. <laughs> yeah. But I had a couple extra computers and, you know, some solid state hard drives. And I'm like, well, I've got extra space and, they, you know, this That's is great. Space, so let's just let's just do it. Yeah, um, well, worth trying. <laughs> so, so let me ask one more question about this. Let's say my revenue about million dollars, right? But my profit is $200,000, $300,000. In that case, is it worthwhile to put $200,000? let us say it was, that was the profit into an insurance company, then that means I'm not going to get paid anything as a W-2 employee of my business. And then how do I get that money out of the insurance company? Yeah, well, I, I mean, if you... If your profit is 200 and your, your revenue is a million, you probably, you know, if you're probably living on the 200, but yes. if you're not, then the actuary just comes up and let's say the actuary came up and said, you know, because of your business, you have a million dollars in revenue, but the risk that you have that you've been just self-insuring is a hundred thousand dollars. Then you would put the hundred thousand dollars in as premium to your insurance company. And then your insurance company would invest in any of the assets. Now, the, there's a couple of things you can do and a couple of things you cannot do, okay? You can, the, the money can be invested in anything that doesn't, quote, threaten the financial solvency of the captain. Oh, okay. So <clears throat> anything that, that's fungible liquid that you could sell in order to pay a claim. Now, the, what you cannot do is you cannot loan the money back to the business that took the deduction. Of course. So let's say that, <laughs> yeah, well, you, you'd be surprised. Oh, There's, really? Yeah, that's siphoning money. <laughs> four, four, tax court, four tax court decisions went against the taxpayer and three of the four had taken money out of the captive and loaned it back to the business. Wow. And it's and that, and that's where you shake your head. You're like, you know, it, this should be common sense, <laughs> but you know, the saying goes, common sense isn't always common practice. No. Nope. Um, but 
So you, you have the $100,000, <clears> it grows. You can then use it to invest in other stuff. You could actually, let's say you're going to go and buy a, a home enough or a, an investment property. Well, you can buy that in a limited partnership after the first year when it goes to, from reserves to excess. And then you can use that. You can use money from the insurance company to invest in the real estate. It can buy membership interest in, or limited partnership interest. Um, you can always take a dividend out of the captive insurance company. And dividends are taxed at, they're, they're taxed at long-term dividend rates right. are lower than, you know, as long as it's more than 12 months are, are lower than ordinary income. Okay. So that's good. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, like our insurance company, I don't need the money. I just need what the money can do for me. I need investment right. and other stuff. So when, you know, so I used it to provide a mortgage on a home that I wanted to buy. And now instead of paying Wells Fargo, I pay a monthly mortgage payment to my insurance company. Yeah, so the, uh, but yeah, your insurance company is the not, not holder, right? So yeah. it's, it's the bank. No, that's, that's the great. Ultimate, the ultimate way to get out of it, let's say that you have tons of money in your insurance company, you sold your businesses and you don't need it. You can always give back your certificate of authority saying you're not gonna be an insurance company anymore. And then, you're now just a C corp. So we go and get the name changed and restate the articles and file with the IRS that says, hey, we're no longer an insurance company. And now you're just a C corp with millions of dollars in it. Uh, and then and then they got rid of the personal holding corp penalties. So you still just pay your 21% currently right. on, on realized investment earnings. So it's still really good. And I was going to say, this is where I got off track. One of the only good things about California is its community property. Ah. And people dislike community property for many reasons. But the one good thing is you get a full step up in basis at the first partner, the first spouse's death. Oh, nice. So my That's wife crazy. knows the day after I die, she liquidates everything. Yeah, no tax. And then exactly. So yeah. then that, that way... She, there will be no federal or state taxes on that. Now, there'll be estate taxes on right. that, but you know that's why I have twenty-two million dollars of life insurance and six different trusts and everything else. So, you know, but it, at least we know, you know that that to me, I mean, not that death is the ultimate exit strategy, but if you want to avoid taxes, you know, income taxes, that's that's a good way to do it. If you're in a community property state, but we have many clients that just give back their certificate. They now have a C corp and then they use that almost like their own personal bank where they do investment deals. They do stocks. They do, you know, that's why I do a lot of ETFs in those because when the ETF buys and sells internally, you're not paying taxes on it. Any rebalancing. So. Oh, that's great. So last question I have is, are there any gotchas while choosing captive insurance or while figuring this out? Yeah, there, there are a lot of gotchas. Um, they, they have to be done properly. The IRS has been amazingly consistent. They, they tell you what works and they tell you what doesn't work. And if you follow their rules, you're fine. But there's too many people um, out there that sold captives to businesses that don't have any risk. They just sold them as big almost like Roth IRAs that said, hey, we'll create an insurance company for you and you put $2 million in it, a million dollars, whatever. 
and it's going to grow. You know, the, the premiums are tax-free, your underwriting profit is tax-free, and they just create the, they created these insurance companies really as tax dodges. So you need to make sure that the businesses that you're insuring have risk. And it, it, you need to file audited financial statements on them, on the insurance company every single year. You know, that's what we do. Tax returns, statements of actuarial opinion. So there's, 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 a, there's stuff that goes into the running of the insurance company that's all done behind the scenes. So you have to make sure you, you have somebody that does a good, and to me, most importantly, that your business has risk. No, that, that's awesome. So let's take a quick break. And after the break, we'll go through the same questions I ask every guest. Perfect. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing. Welcome back to Wealth Matters Podcast. Mr. Wesley shared a lot of golden nuggets today. I enjoyed the episode and I hope all of you did. Are you ready for five round? Perfect. Bring it on, Alpesh. Would you be changing any business or investment strategy after this pandemic is over? Uh, good question. I am waiting for the pandemic and the government assistance to end. And I'm watching it closely because I believe the stock market has been buoyed because of the excess money that people have that they've been getting from the stock market. But when, when the pandemic ends and new money coming in stops, then I think there's going to be a, you know, not just with stocks, but with, with real estate, for example, because right now lending rates are low without going really deep, lending rates are low because yes. the baby boomers have been, they're, they're at, their kids are out of the house. So they've been flooding money into banks and the banks have all of this money. So they, we've had a really low interest rate for a long time, but between 22 and 24, those baby boomers, a lot of them will be retired and new money into the system, new money into the 401ks, new money into the CDs, all of that will dry up. So I mean, I believe you're going to see mortgage rates go, I mean, they'll have to go to anywhere between six and a half and 8%. And if I'm yeah. wrong, I mean, I'd, I'd love to be wrong, but I think the stock market will go down because new money into it, there'll always be yes. you know, really good companies to invest in. But as a whole, you know, I think right now they've just, they're maximizing their retirement and that that will end at some point. So I'm I am I'm closely watching it, but I I really believe that 2022 and 2024 you'll see a correction in the stock market and the real estate market. I and agree. Then that's that's the buying time. Keep yep. your powder I, dry and yep. go in and buy. When there is blood on the street, right? You got to get in. <laughs> Correct. Favorite real estate or finance or any other related book. Ooh, I, you know what? I just read a book that I thought two people had recommended it to me and I'd never heard of it. And it was written in the early 2000s by a guy named Felix Dennis. Felix Ever heard Dennis. of him? No. He's the guy who started Maxim Magazine. Oh, he's a really? Pub publishing guy. Oh. But it's called How to Be Rich. 
Oh, okay. I have not heard of it. it. Two people told me about the book. So I bought it and read it. And I got to tell you, I was fascinated. And it talks about real estate deals he did. It talks about, you know, but a lot of the book was the mistakes he made yes. along the way to, to keep you out of it, you know, and then, you know, it, it, you probably heard a lot of people telling you, but um, Principles by Ray Dalio. I think uh -huh. it's, it's one of the best books, you know, Random Walk on Wall Street. A lot of those books are good, um, but I, I really, I really enjoyed how to be rich because it, it real, because a lot of these business books are fluff, you know, where they don't give you, yes. tell you oh, I did this great. And I did this yes. great, and I did this great. He actually says, look, this is when I was almost bankrupt. This is when I had to borrow from this bank, you know, to deposit a check in this because it was a two day flow. And he's telling you all the, the, the bad parts about running a business. So, you know, if there's a lot of people out there that are struggling now, and I think it gives them a, a good perspective. No, that's, that's great. I'm going to check that out as well. So the other question I have on the fire round, any tool or website you recommend? It, as I think- Maybe in your I, investment or in your basically insurance site. Yeah, so, I mean, my ETFs are pretty automated. I mean, it's all done with AI and the AI continues to get smarter on itself. So it's true AI. Um, but I'm, I'm just thinking about the tools I use every day. You know, I use Otter a lot. Otter.ai, yes. yep. I do all my meetings just to make sure I, I have everything done. And then Zoom. Yes. You know, we are on Zoom now. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, one thing that I did do is, and I recommend people to do it, is to go get their own name on Zoom. So you have Zoom with, go get the domain name, Zoom with Alpesh, Zoom uh, with Okay, Matters, that's a good idea. Zoom with Wes, Zoom with John S. I mean, do it. And then that way they don't have to, you know, the people don't have to type in the stuff all the time. They can just go to that one site. And then I also through Calendly have talk with. Yes. I, I, so I tell everyone, hey, just to me, this is, you want to make it as easy and right. easy for people to find you. So it's. That's a great advice. Any advice for beginner investors? I mean, I would say, don't think you're smarter than you are because too often you'll, you'll have an early win. And then you think, oh, you have this whole thing nailed. And, and to me, winning in the stock market, it, it's the you can make it, but can you keep it? To me, the key that the stock market goes up, but the key is, you know, it's not losing. Yes. You know, and, and that's where people, so if you did, if you were in the S&P 500 from December 1st, 1996 to December 1st, 2019, you would have done 8.1 times your money. If you were smart enough to even after the market went down 10% to go on the stick on the sidelines and wait till it goes back up 10%, you know, you would have had far more wealth, you know, and that's where, you know, I'm, I'm basically like a researcher. So I try to find out, find all these tricks, but if, if you want to go in the S and P 500, great. My, if I'm a beginner investor, I would go into the S and P low vol 50. So it's the 50 lowest volatility stocks in the, of the S&P 500, because even in bad times, those are the ones to me that are making money. You know, it's, it's the Amazons of the world. If you look at, look, look at the S&P 500 10 years ago and see how many of those companies are still in the S&P 500, you know, Kodak wasn't, they're, they're not in it anymore. Um, so it, to me, it's, it's the, low, the lowest volatility, highest profit stocks. 
I think you're on mute. That's great. How do you give back? How do I give back? Well, we have our own foundation. My wife and I do the Cirque Foundation. So the Cirque Family Foundation. So we, you know, the little in our town, I mean, not the brag, but our in our town, the, the Little League field is called the Cirque Family Foundation field. We give a lot to soldiers, PTSD, dog, companion dogs for returning soldiers. So I, I find it's, it's, we give to kids charities and schools and we give to soldiers because these are the people that sacrificed their life so we can live in this, in this great country. But oh, that's I, awesome. I believe in uh, foundations, foundations are great. And if you haven't had somebody come on and talk about foundations, you know, definitely something that that's worth doing. And there's huge tax benefits. Yes. You know, I don't know if you ever, if you've ever had anyone come talk about charitable LLCs. No, I have not. But uh, right. a lot of people have mentioned it to me. So I, I, I'm looking into those actually. Yeah. So, so we yeah. created our own charitable LLC. Nice. And, you know, with the donor advised fund and everything else. So the K1s go to the charities and yep. you know, we have to give out 20 to 25% what we save in taxes every single year to meet the rules. But if you do it right, it's, it's great. And it's, it, I didn't come up with the idea. Yes. It's, it's the same thing Bill and Melinda Gates did when he had all of his Microsoft. Exactly. Stock, yeah. Put it in his foundation and then huge. Yeah. yeah. And in the end, he's, they are doing good for the community. Right. So, you know, I, I believe it's a win-win you are creating. Right. So Correct. Correct. Yep. No, this is great. Thank you so much for your time. How can my um, listeners reach out to you? Um, I mean, we're on all of the, the social channels. It's Wesley Cirque, you know, for Instagram and YouTube. YouTube, we have an RMA captive. Our company's risk management advisors. We have an RMA captive um, channel where we're always putting up. I put up two videos yesterday about things to look out. What, what are the good things? What are the bad things? Our company's risk management advisor. So it's risk, R-I-S-K-M-G-M-T, and then advisors, A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S. And we have a lot of information on there and, you know, click throughs to, to talk to me if they have questions and, you know, always love to help your listeners. Yeah, I oh, kind of was... got, got hooked on your uh, Wealth Matters podcast. So I've been, I've been binging it. Oh, that's awesome. Great. Thank you so much for doing that. And, and really good information. I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today. Thanks again. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing.